0: for this week's message, I was reminded of the times where um, a few of us family members would get together and we would clean up my grandma's house a little bit, do some rearranging, some tidying up. When she would sometimes have to go to assisted living home to have recovery before she could come back home, we would make things where it was more navigable for her with her walker. And I remember one of the times that we had done that, we came across a letter that my grandma had written to a relative. And, and apparently the relative had sent it back This grandma had this, this letter But in that, um, she had written about the things that were going on in her life. And, And I was probably a little bit younger at that time in my age than she was when she wrote the letter. But she was still raising kids, so she was talking about what the kids were up to. She was talking about what it was like to be a, a not only a farmer's wife, but also a wife that helped out on the sawmill. and And I, it reminded me again of my grandma, who at that time wore long skirts, and she'd be out there working on the sawmill in this long skirt. Well, you know that's probably not the safest thing to be doing. And and at that time, the the sawmill had this big belt that would drive the. The, the saw and, and the blade, and, and it would come off from time to time, and my grandpa would yell to her, Duck! And I just remembered her sharing that. Um, and so the, the thought of, of reading a letter um, reminded me of, of having that insight about what was going on in my grandma's life. Because just as my grandma's letter to that relative shared those things that were happening in her life at the time, we're going to see as we look at the words of the passage today that, that Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Um, that that in doing so he was sharing this is what's going on right now in my life in these seven chap or seven verses. I'm not going to do seven chapters. Sorry, that kind of scared some of you. Um, just just seven verses today. But again, I do hope that you do take up the challenge of reading the book of Philippi or Philippians this morning or this summer. I am going to get my tongue working yet. Um, because it only has four chapters. It's, it's four chapters that are filled with joy. Four chapters filled with joy. And it's, and it's in a letter form, so you can read through it. But it's going to give you insight to our series as we go through the book of Philippians. Before I get into the, the text this morning, let me just offer a few thoughts, though, uh, about these seven verses. These seven verses... Help us to understand Paul's focus as he was under um, imprisonment in Rome. As he was suffering, we want to keep in mind that the suffering that he was going through and the suffering that he's referring to here is that trials that are are pressed upon us, and and I don't want us to get confused with it being trials of of the consequences that, that we have to endure because of our sin. Now, this is things that have happened to us. These are the kind of sufferings we'll be talking about today, the the trials. And, and it might be like a sickness or a sorrow that you work through. Uh, it might be physical or mistreatment. It, it could be um, a financial situation or, or maybe loneliness. It would be those kind of sufferings that we would be talking about. And so it's not to be confused with the consequences from sin. Um, And so I just wanted to to clear that up. The author of of James says in verse 1, chapter 2, that, that we should consider it all joy when we go through trials or circumstances that come our way. So how do we consider our troubles, our trials, our difficult circumstances as an opportunity for great joy. How do we do that? Well, this morning I want to suggest to you that is by keeping that right focus in our circumstances, in our suffering. Keeping a right focus. Now, as I, I mentioned last week, um, this book of Philippians is, is more than a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Philippi. It was more than a letter. It's the very word of God. And so before we read this The word this morning, this passage, I want to take a moment and pray, but I also want to read through these seven verses as we would be reading a letter. And so I want to do both of those things this morning. So let's pray before we read the word. God, we thank you for your word that encourages us, especially in times of suffering as we will be in today. And and Lord, I just pray that for those that are in the room this morning that are suffering, Lord, that you would encourage them through your word. And we know that, that you will help us to, to grab hold of, of what truth it is that you want us to understand. It's so Lord, we invite you through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bible and you want to pull that out, chapter 1, starting with verse 12. So we're going to read through this as a letter, and then as we go through the morning, we'll pull out the the various texts and kind of break it down a little bit. So Paul writes, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidences and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. While Paul had always wanted to go to Rome and preach the gospel, this was probably not the circumstances in which he thought he would be doing it under. Paul had experienced a great deal of suffering in just the trip from Jerusalem to Rome. He had suffered through storms at sea, shipwreck, a snake bite, and hunger. And Paul could have thrown up his hands and just said, if this is the thanks I get for serving you, God, I'm done. I quit. That's it. I'm just, I'm just going to sit here until you get me out of this mess. But Paul didn't do that. Rather, Paul determined that he would remain steadfast in his faith and commitment to Christ and sharing the good news in spite of his circumstances. Christ being preached remained his focus. Christ or Paul pressed on in in spite of the suffering that he was going through. His faith in Christ and his leadership was displayed in numerous situations as he made that journey from Jerusalem to Rome. With the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he had been able to look out for all of those that were on that ship during that storm and that subsequent shipwreck. God used him also to heal the sick that were on the island that they ended up getting washed up on. Paul conducted himself as a model prisoner. He was not the only prisoner on the ship. But he conducted himself as a model prisoner. And that gained him great respect with the the Roman officer, Julius. Now that might have been a, a, a reason, a part of the reason why Paul then, when he got to Rome, was not put in prison like some of the other prisoners were. That doesn't mean that he was free, but it did mean that, that he was able to rent his own space. He, he had his own house that he lived in. He was still a prisoner because he was still chained to a guard at the wrist for 24-7. That's how he lived out his time as a prisoner in Rome, the first time he was a prisoner in Rome. And, and the guards would take these six-hour shifts. So that would change. Every six hours, a, a new guard would be chained to Paul. Now think about this. Here's a, This is a letter of joy, remember. Paul was given freedom to continue to preach about Christ. Okay, That's what he was passionate about. And while he was a prisoner, his guards were a captive audience. They had no choice because just as Paul was chained to them, they were chained to him. And so that meant every time that the... the Paul preached Christ, the guard was hearing the good news as well. He had a captive audience in his guards. Paul saw this state of imprisonment as as an opportunity to spread the gospel, to spread the good news about Christ. And Paul realized that his current circumstances weren't as important as what he did with them, turning a bad situation into a good one. And that's why he could joyfully and confidently write to the church in Philippi when he said everything that has happened to me here has happened to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Paul did not look at his suffering as an obstacle, but as an opportunity, an opportunity to make Christ known. He didn't allow his circumstances to make him bitter. He sure could have been. He was falsely accused, taken into custody, just about suffered a beating, ended up getting transported all the way to Rome, all for sharing Christ. He didn't let it make him bitter. He let it make him better. In spite of his suffering, he persevered. So, Paul determined that he would remain steadfast in his faith and commitment to Christ, in sharing the good news in spite of these circumstances that he found him in, and and Christ being preached remained his focus throughout. Paul didn't view himself as a prisoner of the Romans, but rather his imprisonment was for Christ. Now, while not all of us are called to preach Christ, as in standing before a congregation, we are all called to be his witness. We are all called as followers of Christ to share our testimony about who he is and what he has done in, his, in our lives and the peace and joy that we have through Christ. We are witnesses for him as followers of Christ. And this leads us into that second takeaway from today's message, that we learn from Paul's example That if we allow a difficult situation to become an opportunity instead of a discouragement, instead of an obstacle, other believers are encouraged. Other believers are encouraged. Look back at verse 14. Paul wrote, And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. They preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. See, in support of of Paul, the other fellow Christians in Rome were encouraged to share the good news of Christ. They gained courage from Paul's example. This is why if we were to look at the the church in, in China, we would see tremendous growth. They're under persecution and other parts, of course, of the world is because they're seeing that people are still holding on to their faith and they are encouraged to be more bold. And that's what we see is happening here in Rome. Because they thought, if certainly if this man could still joyfully preach Christ while in chains, they could also share the good news while free. And therefore they picked up the torch and they were able to go to places that Paul could not go while he was in chains. And so filled with joy, Paul is is sharing the news of the advancement of the gospel in Rome to the church in Philippi. And no doubt, I am sure that the church in Philippi was encouraged as well through Paul's words. Paul then moves on in his letter in sharing to that some were preaching with pure motives, but others were preaching with selfish ones. And sadly, some fellow Christians in Rome saw this as an opportunity to elevate themselves at the expense of Paul being in chains. And so he wrote this, starting with verse 15. He says, It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. They do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Now, some people have mistakenly determined that this group was a group of Judaizers. And and Judaizers were Jews that held to false teachings. And they thought it was about keeping the law and and not about grace. They thought it was about human effort and not about faith in Christ for our salvation. But Paul would have never have made that next statement in his letter that we're going to read. If They, if that would have been the case, if they would have been teaching a false gospel, he would have never have said this starting in verse 18, but that doesn't matter. He would have never have made that statement, but that doesn't matter if it was a a distorted teaching that was being preached. No, those that were preaching out of jealousy and rivalry were believers in the faith. Sadly, this can still happen in the church today. And I think what we can take away from this is that reality should encourage us to consider what are our motives when we share our faith. Are they pure? Are we saying it to exalt ourselves? Or are we sharing to give Christ the glory in our lives? We should always, of course, to seek to glorify Christ. Paul went on in verse 18 to declare, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul didn't let himself get distracted or discouraged by those that were intending to make his chains more painful for him. He recognized that he could do nothing directly about another's behavior. I think that's good counsel for us as well. But we could, or he could be responsible for his own response, as we also should be responsible for our own response to things like this. Instead of getting offended, to be determined to let God deal with the hearts of those individuals with the false motives. Paul humbly concluded, it doesn't matter. He would choose to rejoice. Being full of joy, he would continue to rejoice because either way false motives or pure ones Christ was still being preached the goal of preaching Christ was still going forth paul was filled with joy in spite of his suffering because Christ was still being glorified one theologian stated paul's perspective on his suffering in this short summary he said were there chains on his wrists These were his bonds in Christ. Were his enemies causing trouble for their selfish preaching? So what? They are preaching Christ. Were his friends in Philippi worried about him and praying for him? Fine. This will exalt Christ. Paul kept a right focus in his suffering. God brought the good news through him. Preached Jesus Christ glorified. Paul also understood that there were personal purposes in suffering and suffering. And we can pick up on that in, in his letter to the Romans when he wrote, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul kept that right focus in his suffering, allowing his trials to strengthen him and give him confidence and and hope in his salvation, to stand and preach the good news and glorify Jesus Christ. God did not make Paul's way easy and trouble-free. And, and likewise for us, we may be in God's will. We may be entirely faithful to him, and yet he may lead us down some unpleasant roads involving troubles. Jesus told his disciples, which also of course includes us, his followers today, that in this world we will have tribulation, we will have suffering Difficult situations and circumstances will be a part of the life of the follower of Jesus. So then how do we apply Paul's example of his life to our own? How can this help us remain steadfast in spite of our circumstances and in our suffering? How do we still have joy? You know, many say an illustration for a message is more impactful if it comes from the speaker themselves um, from a personal experience that, that the speaker has had. And, and as I prepared for the message this week, I came to a realization I really have not suffered in a way that I felt was adequate as an illustration. I've certainly not suffered as much as Paul. I haven't suffered as much as some of you in this room have. I haven't suffered as much as some of you in this room are currently suffering. I haven't had a great financial loss or struggle. I haven't had significant health challenges. I haven't walked through heart-wrenching losses, as some of you have. And I've not felt that deep loneliness or mistreatment that maybe some of you have experienced as well. And so, to some degree, I felt like I was somewhat lacking. How do I, how do I speak about suffering? Yet I knew that this is what God had placed on my heart to say what to share from. And and so, I'm not going to turn to my own experience, but rather I do what I feel is far greater. And, and we're going to go to God's word. What promises are ours in Christ? Promises of encouragement as we walk through trials and sufferings, those seasons in our lives where we're being, uh, well are just really hard. <laughs> Romans 8:31 says that God promises that he is for us. Remember, God doesn't change just because our suffering has increased. God remains the same. Romans 8:38 God promises that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ, and nothing includes the suffering, the trials, and the difficult situations. Hebrews 13.5 says, We know that God is with us in our trials as he promises to never fail us nor abandon us. And Romans 8.28, In all things, God works for for the good of those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. Even in our times of suffering, God is still sovereign. He's still in control. He sees us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's going to be right there in it with us. And he's going to turn those trials for our good. And so we can choose to allow our suffering to become, not to become an obstacle, but, but to use it as an opportunity, an opportunity to glorify Christ, to make him known. And when we choose it as an opportunity, we then can say, though, okay, God, I know that you turn things for good for those who love you. I love you, so thou, what's next? What's next? What good is going to come from this season of suffering? How do you want my suffering to bring you glory? And so I do pray that we would all invite God into our suffering whenever that season comes, whether it be now or whether it be in the future, and, and that we would use that as that opportunity to make Christ known, to be a witness to his amazing goodness in our lives, even in those hard things. The Bible says that when trouble comes our way, we can consider it an opportunity for great joy, even joy in our suffering, joy in our that will be evident to to those around us. I'm going to close in in just a minute. Um, But I want to ask the question, why was Paul so focused, so passionate about Christ being preached? And as I prepared this message and was just about to head off to bed last night, I really felt God saying to me, you need to convey to the people the why. Why the passion? Why the passion that Paul had? And I believe it's because he knew that if people died without embracing the truth and leaving, receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they would experience eternal separation from God in hell. Now, it's not... Popular to talk about hell in the church. I'll just be honest. You don't hear very many messages about hell. But hell is just as real as heaven is. And Paul didn't want anyone to be separated. Any more than God wants anyone to be separated from him for all of eternity. I'm going to share a a very short article um, talking about D.L. Moody. And, And it comes from Christian Heritage Fellowship, and I think it'll help us understand Paul's passion a little bit more. The author wrote, God's gift of mercies are packaged in the todays of our lives. One Sunday night, October 8th, 1871, the well-known evangelist D.L. Moody preached to the largest congregation that he had yet addressed in Chicago. His text that evening was, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Taken from Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. And at the conclusion of his sermon, he said, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week and next Sabbath come back to Calvary and the cross and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. Then his song evangelist, Ira D. Sankey, whose hymns are, are sprinkled throughout most evangelical hymn books, began to lead singing this hymn. Today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls. The death is nigh. But Sankey never finished the hymn. For while he was singing... the Russian roar of fire engines whistled by the church on the street outside. And before morning, much of the city of Chicago lay in ashes. To his dying day, Mr. Moody deeply regretted that he had never told that congregation, or or deeply regretted that he had told that congregation to come back next Sabbath and decide what to do with Jesus. He said, I have never since dared, he said, to give an audience a week to think about their salvation. If they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I have never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I have never forgotten. And that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week to decide what to do with Jesus. The author concluded his article with, In many of our churches across our nation, in spite of indifference, has descended upon the pew a spirit of indifference has descended upon the pew and the pulpit. Like Moody before the great Chicago fire, we have allowed ourselves to say, tomorrow. Would you allow yourselves to sense anew a passion for souls? That's the question for us today. Will we allow ourselves to sense anew a passion for souls? It's not just on a Sunday morning where Christ is supposed to be preached. It's every single day of our lives as believers where we share the gospel message. Sometimes we share it with words. Sometimes and most often we share it with actions. How are people seeing us live our lives? It's a witness to Christ and what he's done in our lives. And so I want us to be mindful of that as we move through the week. It is our responsibility to share Christ because we don't want anyone else to go to hell. Charles Spurgeon said in referring to Paul and his passion about preaching the gospel, he said, what was begun with so much heroism, ought to be continued with ardent zeal. Since we are assured that the same Lord is mighty still to carry on his heavenly designs. God still wants everyone to come to know Jesus. To have that relationship, to have that eternal life. And so I don't want to have that deep regret, that moody had back in the 1800s. I don't know everybody's heart here this morning. I don't know if everyone in the room has received Christ, but I do know that you're not here by accident. And so if that's you this morning, you have never thought about Christ being in your sufferings with you and helping you through that. I encourage you that today would be that day that you would invite him into your heart. That you would... Ask for forgiveness of your sin which has separated you from God and that Jesus had died on the cross to make that bridge to God again that you can have that restored relationship. If that's you this morning, please do not leave without making that decision. I'm going to be up here in the front along with the prayer team will be over here. If you're making that decision today, please do not leave without talking to me. God wants all to come to know him, to experience the joy in Christ. For others of us that have received Christ as our Savior, it is all of our responsibility to be his witness, to share of his glory, his wonders, to give others opportunity. Because they're not all going to come here on a Sunday morning. That's all of our responsibility. To share what God has done in our lives. To glorify Christ. Before I pray, I just want to close with this last thought. Paul and the Philippian church modeled the importance of, of praying for one another. We see that as Paul's writing, thanking them for praying for him as he also prays for them. And it, it encourages us during difficult times. And and we practice the same praying for one another here at Hill City Assembly of God. And so if you're here, and, and, and whether it be your first day here or whether it be your 10th year here, if you need prayer for anything at all, whether it be suffering, whether it be on behalf of someone else this morning, I encourage you, take advantage of praying with the prayer team or praying with myself this morning we know that there is power in prayer. And we also know, through the example of Paul in the Philippian church, that not only is the one being prayed for encouraged, but also the ones who are praying are encouraged. And I know our prayer team and myself can speak to that. And so with those thoughts, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the passion that Paul had in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, what he started so passionately, Lord, we want to pick up the torch. We want to carry that as well everywhere that we go, that others would know you as Savior. Lord, we don't want our family members, our neighbors, our, our, our acquaintances, those we meet on the street... Lord, to not know the truth about you. To not have that opportunity to receive you. To not be able to to see Christ lived out in us. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be courageous, to be bold, to not be concerned whether we'll be rejected or not. Because we know in all honesty that it's you that they're rejecting. It is not us. But Lord, you have called us to be a mouthpiece. You have called us to be a witness. And Lord, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be able to do that with boldness. We thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for us. And Lord, I pray that if there is any among us today that does not know you yet, that today would be the day not to mull it over for another day, not to wait another week, but that today would be that day that they would discover joy. Life. Life abundant. So we thank you this morning, Lord, for all that you are to us. May you be glorified, Lord, as we go boldly be your witnesses for your glory.